Hey, and welcome to Five Alive Devotional. We are here on the 3rd of May, and we are uh, just enjoying yet another day under curfew uh, in Punjab. And this morning, we're going to look at the book of John, chapter 5, uh, 17 through 24. And yes, last week we continued with a 17th verse, but we're going to pick up there and we're going to just read a few more things. I want to set this up a little bit with the fact that what we're, what we're going to be reading out of the Bible today is Jesus speaking. And this isn't something that um, is normally talked about um, as far as, you know, you don't stand up and, and, and preach a sermon on this. Uh, this is kind of one of those passages of Scripture that people would allude to or expect to be in the Bible, but they may never, if they don't read the Bible, they don't know it's actually there. Because what we normally do is we talk about all of the things Jesus did or he accomplished. And, and when we talk about the sayings or the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus we usually use are the Beatitudes or um, do not judge unless you want me to be judged or ask, seek, and knock. Like those are the words of Jesus that we normally reference, and yet this is just as important as those words are um, because this is Jesus describing who he is and what his role is here in John chapter 5, uh, 17 through 24. So what we had was he had just healed a uh, lame man at the pool of Bethesda, and, um, and the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders were upset at him, and they were upset at him because he had healed somebody on on the Sabbath. <gasps> I can't believe he did that. Doesn't he know the Sabbath is the day of rest and he's making somebody work? Oh my goodness. And so that's what is going on here. And Jesus is just talking about who he is. He's giving a description of himself. So like if I was to describe myself, I would say, I am a married man of 20 years. I have three children. One is in university. One's in 10th grade today. One is in sixth grade today. The end of the school year is coming for them. I um, am an entrepreneur for Achievers Business Academy Advisors. Like that would be me describing who I am. And so Jesus is doing really no different here. He is describing who he is. And so Xavier, if you'll um, pick up here in John chapter five, verse 17, and read those, uh, those few verses. But Jesus, Jesus answered, my father worketh hitherto, hitherto and I work. Therefore the Jews sought more to kill him because... He not only broke in the Sabbath, but said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. <clears throat> for the father loveth the son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than thee, that ye may marvel. For as the father rises up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so son quickeneth whom he will. Their father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. That all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son, honoreth not the father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Actually, read that 25th verse, too. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the, honor, the hour is coming. Now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they sh that hear shall live. 
All right, brilliant. So what we have here is we have Jesus describing who he is and his role in the kingdom of God. And the, there's three things that I really notice that stand out here. And they are Jesus is equal to the Father. Two, Jesus has authority. And three, he is a judge. Those are the three things that really stand out to me in this passage of Scripture, and, and I just kind of want to look at those today and talk about how do we apply these to our daily lives, and how do we sometimes maybe jump ahead of who God is and try and take the power away from Him and, re, and, and make it ours. And so, first of all, we have a quality. Jesus is equal to God the Father. He is equal to him. And that is something that really frustrated or infuriated the religious leaders of the day because they did not think any man could consider himself equal to God. That's not possible in the mindset of what they thought. And, and secondly, how is he somebody who speaks with authority or has such authority because no man can have that kind of authority? Only God can have that authority and he can't be God. And then thirdly, he says he's a judge. Hasn't he read what it says in the Torah? Hasn't he read that only God is the judge of all of the earth, all of the universe, all of the things that he has created? And so these are things that really upset or maybe even frustrated or even worse, they could have even possibly just been things that perplexed people of Jesus's time. But you know what? They perplex people today too. People are just not comfortable with the idea that there was somebody who was born of a virgin, who lived for 33 years on this earth until he was crucified, and they, they struggle with the idea that he is God. Have you ever noticed that there are people that struggle with that? Or am I, am I just running into the wrong people? No, you're right. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean, absolutely people struggle with God. You know, is there a God? Um, why would, and if there is a God, why would God allow this? I mean, and then if it's, some people want God just to be all the more relevant to them through all circumstances of life. Like, if I want God, well, then he should be there. He should show up. He should do this. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Did anybody, you have anything to add? No? Okay. Mallory was just talking to Xavier behind my back, and so I thought maybe she had something she wanted to share. She was asking what perplexed meant. Oh, she was asking what perplexed meant. So perplexed means like something that is confused, like almost like confusing. Like uh, when you're doing a math problem, and let's say it is uh, 1x times 3y equals... And then you at why are you looking at me like that? It's okay, it's complicated, but you're perplexed by the complication. Do you see? Does that help with a little bit of a description? Okay. So, so people both then and now are perplexed by God being equal because people want God to be, at, and correct me if I'm wrong, I want to make sure I'm hearing you out right, Blair, is that people want God to basically be there for them at all times and do the things that they want to do. Or, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. It's sure. not like all people, but right. some, some people. But yeah, you want, you want to put God in your pocket and then use him whenever it's convenient for you. 
Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the religious leaders were no different in that day. They enjoyed the power they had. They enjoyed the prestige they had when they were out walking in public and people saw their flowing robes and saw the tassels at the bottom of their, uh, of their, um, their robes and things like that. And they wanted people to touch those. They wanted people to esteem them highly or look highly upon them. And so for somebody to come along and say that he's equal to God, that almost removes away their religious power and put somebody else in that place. And that kind of maybe even scared them a little bit. And, and, uh, and so this is a struggle that we see constantly going on in scripture. Um, so Jesus is someone who is equal with God. And I always, um, I don't always, but I enjoy using the, um, the mathematical equation of describing our triune God within Christianity as a mathematical equation, which is one times one times one equals, and that value that one times one times one equals is still one. And I like that equation. It's not a perfect thing to describe who God is, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it is an equation that helps explain the fact that the Holy Spirit is of equal value to our Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Father is of equal value to Jesus the Son, and Jesus the Son is of equal value to the Holy Spirit. And, and that value is so important because that equal sign that we see in a mathematical equation is what gives us the solution. And the solution is, is that the value is the same. Jesus, when I worship Jesus, I am worshiping God the Father, and I am worshiping the Holy Spirit. When I call out to the Holy Spirit, help me, I am in trouble and I need assistance right now. I am calling out to the Holy Spirit, but I'm also calling on the name of Jesus and our Heavenly Father at the same time. They have equal value in these moments. And so this equality is something that's very important for us to recognize. And I can understand why this is hard uh, for people to to grasp. And that, and I want to describe it in a setting of, of why this is a difficulty for some of us to understand. And that is, let's say we all go to a baking class together and there are 10 other students. And what we're learning to do today is we're learning to bake bread. The instructor in front of us tells us how to bake, bake bread. They give us a lecture on it. They then give us all the equipment we need and they give us written instructions. And then with the written instructions, we then go through the process of making bread. Now, I ask you, do you think every one of the students in that classroom are going to make the bread exactly like the instructor instructed? No. No. Do you think their bread is going to turn out perfect? No. No. But why? They've gotten the instructions in the lecture. They've gotten the instructions written on paper. They have all of the same equipment. How come everybody's thing is going to turn out different? Because they want to do their own thing with it. They want to make it their own. They want to, oh, this doesn't need this. I'm going to do something completely different because I don't like those ingredients, so I'm going to put something new inside of it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I've already made bread before, and I already know a recipe that works for me, so forget this recipe, and I'm going to use the recipe that I know how to make bread with because my recipe is better than this one. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to uh, proclaiming that Jesus is equal unto God, oh, did you have something? I'd probably follow the recipe. You'd follow the recipe. (laughs) Because I'm like, I don't know how to make bread. I'm just going to follow the recipe. (laughs) Sure. And, and, And so what we have is today we have people that have heard 
this, that Jesus is equal to God. Jesus is saying, I and the Father are equal. I am the, he is the Father, I am the Son, and we are one. And that has a lot of connotations to people, uh, that has a lot of explanations to people, that has a lot of references to people because they have a life that they have lived before they received this information. And so a lot of times what we do is we bring in that past information and we try and squeeze it into the new information we have now, like you were saying, Xavier, where, oh, well, I've done this before and so I'm going to do my own way. Or uh, I, I don't like those ingredients, so I'm going to do it this way. And so that's what people have done and that's what people do is they, they, they skip over passages, passages of Scripture like we're reading today and they say, well, it's not really important for us to talk about how Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are equal. Um, and so let's just skip that part and let's get to the miracles or let's get to uh, the parts where he saves me from my sin or any of the other uh, things that we would label as the more important aspects or the, the things that preach well or teach well to get me a good following. And when we talk about Jesus as... I would also say like a feel good. It makes me feel good Re reading the passages of scripture that bring me prosperity and life and and hope and peace and just a feel-good moment because yeah. we don't want to look at God as a God of judgment. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so we we struggle with these portions of, of life. And I, I wrote a question down that I just kind of wanted to pose uh, to us, and, and, and I hope it's not too wordy. And if I can get my screen to turn properly on my iPad here, uh, the, the question is... Um, Gosh, it keeps turning. What is the most difficult part of Jesus's equality for me to understand? Like, and this isn't one that has to be answered aloud, but, but just ask yourself, what is it that you struggle with when I say Jesus is equal to God the Creator, God the Father? What about that is hard for uh, you to really say, okay, yeah, I can, I can, I can believe that. That's really true. What is it that that prevents you from believing Jesus is equal to God? And then there's a passage of scripture I'd like to quote and uh, read from uh, Isaiah chapter 46, uh, verses three through six. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. All the remnant of the house of Israel ha who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Like this is God talking about who do you say, what man, and this is maybe even where a religious leader or, or, or somebody who has a deep ingrained background into some other ways of thinking would say, it's not possible for Jesus to be equal with God, the creator, the father, because he's a man who is equal to God. Well, Jesus is. Jesus is equal to God, and not only does Je and, and we've got to notice what we've read so far in Scripture, not only has Jesus proclaimed he's equal to God himself, but he's had two other people proclaim that very same thing in the passages of Scripture from John chapter 1 through John chapter 5, and those two people are the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove when he was baptized by the other person who said that he held equality with God. And that person is who? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. 
And so these two people have said Jesus is equal to God. Second thing that I noticed in the passage of scripture that we read today, John chapter 5, 17 through 24, is that Jesus has authority. He has authority. And the way I like to look at the fact that Jesus has authority is, is, is described in authorship, like the author of a book. I read uh, last week a book written by a man named Eric Metaxas, and the book was called Martin Luther, and it was about the father of the Reformation movement, the Protestant movement in the 1500s. Now, the author of the book made uh, Eric Metaxas, he made sure he included the information he wanted in order to support his thesis. He excluded maybe some information because it didn't support his thesis, because that's the way authorship works. An author has the control to tell the narrative of the way things are or the way things should be or the way things are going to be known historically from here on out. And that's no different with the author of life. God is the creator. He's the one who founded this universe, and he is the one who understands what uh, course happens happened in the past and what is the course of action that's going to happen ahead. His jurisdiction over this earth knows no boundaries. His authority is absolute, and his standard of justice and equity is his standard, not ours. And so when it comes to authority, sometimes we struggle with saying God is a God of authority because we want to be the ones that are in the place of authority. We want power. We want to change things to be the way they are. Blair, you mentioned earlier, like, well, why does God allow certain things to happen? I can't believe in a God that would allow bad things to happen. Well, really? Because you read books all the time, novels all the time, TV shows all the time that you disagree with the premise or the plot, and yet that doesn't make you dislike the director or the producer or the writer of those shows. In fact, sometimes you keep going back to those shows or those movies because you did have a disagreement with it, and you're just completely enthralled with the idea that this would be somebody's perspective. But yet when it comes to the authorship of God, your, our immediate response can at times be, not always, but can at times be, I can't trust in a God that would allow bad things to happen to good people. I can't trust in a God who would allow me to get sick. I can't trust in a God who would allow my mom or my dad to die. I can't trust in a God who would allow criminal activity to happen on this earth because that proves to me that he doesn't have authority I want to take that and flip it on its head and say, that's not what it proves at all. All that proves is that God has allowed free will on this earth and that people have taken advantage of his free will and they have continued to execute their evil plans. And there will be a day, as point number three is, of judgment that will come on those people and on us. And that judgment is what proves his authority Authority is power that is rightfully held. Jesus is the author of creation. In John 1, 1, the word became flesh. Or John 1, 10, sorry. The word became flesh. Jesus was the word that spoke the worlds into existence. He is that authority. He is the living word of God today. And so he holds authority. 
Um, and this was proved in Scripture once, uh, multiple times, but in, in the New Testament, Jesus was walking along, and there was a Roman centurion. So this guy's not um, um, of Jesus's clan. He's not of Jesus's people. He is an outsider. He's a foreigner. And uh, in John chapter 7, verses 6 through 10, uh, and Jesus went out. Uh, when he was not far from the house, a centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant was well. The Roman centurion understood the authority by which the Son of God, Jesus Christ, operated under. And so I have a question, or I have a couple questions actually, but have you ever questioned God's authority? Have you ever questioned his authority? So authority is a power that is rightfully held. Authority is the ability to um, um, control a situation, to make it react within the field of what you deem necessary. For instance, I have the authority of Rolance Holdings, LLP, India, to write checks. Xavier doesn't have the authority to write the checks. Our neighbors don't have the authority to write checks. The bank doesn't have authority to write checks. Only I have the authority to write a check in order to pay our rent and to pay our employees. That's authority. Right, but in this particular scenario where you, what, what is your, the question is so broad. I, exactly. I purposely wanted it to be broad so that that way when it comes to a specific area of maybe you, uh, us questioning God's authority, uh, we could elaborate more gen generally instead of so specifically <laughs> uh, so that that way uh, uh, it's not so condemning, if you will, because challenging authority usually has repercussions. If I challenge a police officer's authority while I'm under curfew, I'm probably going to have my car impounded and I'm probably going to go to jail and I'm going to get an FIR. And so the results of challenging Jesus's authority aren't always that severe immediately, but there are repercussions for challenging his authority and so have you ever done that? That's just the yes or no part of it. Have you ever challenged his authority? I'm sure we all have because... Sure, I have. <clears throat> I mean, thinking about it, you saying all that. Uh, God is very patient. But you saying all that, challenging his authority. I mean, technically for hundreds of years, the Israelites challenged his authority for so long. And then he was like, I'm fed up with this. I'm going to put them in captivity. Mm -hmm. So like... He's really 
patient about it. He wants us to come back to him and all this other stuff. And he tries everything to get us back to him. Yes. And when we don't do that, when we continue sinning and challenging him, oh, well, if God won't help me during this, then I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. But he's patient and waiting for us to come to him instead of us going to him. Yeah. I mean, him coming to us. Yeah. Because he has such an authority that he wants you to come to him, not him come to you. But he still comes to us. But he still comes to us. Yeah. Because he wants to be with us. He does. He created us and he loves us and he wants to be there with us. Yeah. He enjoys the moments he has with us. And even though he's a person of authority, he he doesn't want that to be uh, uh, um, a... a deterrent yeah. from us following uh, after him or being with him or spending time with him. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I try to, I'm trying to reflect. So kind of, you kind of caught, caught me off guard with that question because it's so deep. I mean, because authority is, like I said, it's such a broad term. And definitely, I, I asked Christ into my heart at the age of eight. And that is, I repented of my sins and confessed with my mouth that I was a sinner. And I asked Christ Jesus to come into my heart and to cleanse me of all sins. And that I would um, worship him and him alone for all the days of my life. And with that, at the age of eight, you know, and I begin reading the Bible and, and begin applying the words of the Lord to my life. And, and sure, I would question why don't I have an earthly dad? Like I have had an earthly dad, but my parents were divorced and I lived with my mom and my, my two brothers. And I would question, well, if my mom is so lonely, why isn't there a man in her life? And I remember praying and praying and praying and just asking Christ Jesus for, for a dad. Is there a man that would ever love my mom in such a way that she would remarry again? And my mom at that time had, you know, radically asked Christ Jesus into her heart as well. And she would tell us kids of, you know, no, it's not my time to marry again. I'm married to Jesus. He's my husband. And and that's how she lived life. And me as a child, I just wanted that that presence. I wanted that earthly presence of a of a dad to to love and to love me for who I am, but then I had to come in acceptance at the age of nine of, I needed to forgive my dad Mm. because I was so upset that he had left us. And that didn't necessarily mean that I wasn't a, a follower of Christ still. It was, I needed to ask Christ Jesus to forgive me, to help me to forgive my dad mm. and to begin to love my dad as Christ Jesus loves my dad. Then I go on in my in my walk with the Lord, and there's definitely times of, of questioning, questioning of, you know, am I, am I making the job the, the right job opportunity? Am I, you know, I, I've got a kids, and you know, my my son falls down and he breaks his left arm and his left femur bone and dislocates his knee. And then is placed into a spica cast, and my husband's diagnosed. When he was a year and a half old. Yeah, he was a year and a half old, and my husband is diagnosed with, you know, bilateral pneumonia. His kidneys aren't functioning, 
and um, my daughter has got a tick bite going straight to her heart and I was diagnosed with stage two, three cancer and all within the same week. It was crushing, it was, it was crushing. And I remember calling out going, God, why? Like, why, why, why is this happening? If, if anything could happen, like I can handle one thing at a time. And once again, that keyword, I can handle. And I was putting it in my own control and not releasing it to Christ. Yeah. I was not allowing God's authority to be. Mm. I was trying to take on God's authority as if I was his authority. So in those moments of that 27-year-old self, um, I ha yet again have to ask God to forgive me. God, here I am trying to be you. And that is not at all how you created me to be. Yeah. You created me to worship you and to be obedient to your authority. Mm. You didn't see this as a mistake. You, didn't, you already foresaw my husband being very, very sick myself being very very sick my daughter could die with a tick bite my you know my son here he is broken from limb to limb to limb and can't even move because he's in a spica cast god you saw all of this and lord your authority is good mm. and may i have joy in this moment yeah. and not allow the situation to com take complete control over me but it allow your peace your gentleness, your comfort, your wisdom, and your love ultimately to shine bright yeah. in me and through me and for me to accept your love for me. Yeah. And that, that would be a big moment. And there's other moments. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was even thinking what, uh, while we were going through this week, just uh, in our household, of course, we... We aren't able to really uh, get out uh, because we're we're confined to our apartment complex, um, and, and I I was really challenging myself in this past week in what have I taken on and not trusted God's authority for, and we had discussions where even Xavier and Mallory were a part of them where I was asking myself out loud, what have I done where I have put my head down to try and run through a brick wall instead of trusting God's authority to move me in the right direction. And that's just the thing that's happened this past week, not to mention the things that you're talking about, Blair, that happened, you know, 15 years ago. But uh, uh, just this past week, it's even now I'm older, now I'm wiser. Our kids are older and our kids are wiser. And yet I still have to go back and ask myself, am I, am I forgetting God and his authority? Am I putting myself in the place of his authority? Because I can so easily do that. I can so easily just say, you know what? I'm not going to read scripture today. I'm not going to listen to what God has to say. I'm not even going to pray today. I can do this in my own effort and in my own authority and my own power. And you know what? I could probably actually get a lot of things done that way. But that doesn't make it the right way to do it. Because as you, as you mentioned, Christ called us to obedience and, and obedience in him means that taking the shortcut is not the best option. 
I remember a dear friend of mine, um, um, his name is Pastor Eddie. He had preached a sermon that I had heard, gosh, I, I think it was when Xavier was at that time in the Spica cast. And, and, and he preached a message on not taking shortcuts. And so often I challenge God's authority by thinking the shortcut is the best option. And what it really leads to is it leads to a path of destruction, a path of pain, a path of sorrow. And, 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 and it doesn't benefit anybody. But if I continue to submit to his authority, if I continue to follow after Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, his authority will bring me through. Now, I had another question on that, but I wanted to go ahead and get into point number three, and that is that Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. And, and we find in Scripture multiple places where um, God, is, God is the judge of this universe. And Jesus said, uh, in what Xavier read to us this morning, that Jesus says, I am the judge. He says, I am the judge. You say it still is morning. Uh, Jesus says, I am the judge. And, and, and it says uh, right there in uh, verse 22 of John chapter 5, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And, and I find that so fascinating in light of other passages of Scripture that say things like one of our, one of our favorite um, passages of Scripture, which is the longest uh, chapter in the Bible, and that is in Psalm 119 and verse 66, um, there is a, a conversation uh, of, of the psalmist and God, and he says, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. I think that's so important for us to be taught judgment by the one who judges the, he the heavens and the earth. Uh, uh, in Philippians 1.9, um, it says this, oh, my I'll be there in just a second. Philippians 1.9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And then uh, uh, one more is Galatians 6, 7. And uh, that passage of scripture says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. And these are all things of discernment and judgment. And, and God is the judge of the earth. He holds ultimate authority, knowledge, righteousness, love, and power. And he takes all of our actions and our heart into his trust and his thought. And then he makes his judgments in accordance with that. Things that we can't even see in other people, God is judging them according to those things, those heart issues, those, those thought issues, those mind issues that are going on in their lives. And we try and make judgment calls on what's going on on the surface or what we read in the newspaper or what we see on a blog. And, and what God, what Jesus is, is he is the righteous judge 
He is the one that is in control of judging not only me, but judging this whole earth. And, and the thing that I find so fascinating about that is, is we always like to talk about God as a judge of people, and we always forget that he's also judging the things that are around us, the plants. He's judging the animals. Like when we think of those things, it kind of blows our mind that God's not just dealing with humanity when it comes to his judgment, but he's dealing with the natural resources of this planet. He judges the weather. Like he's not completely controlling the hurricane that may be headed for your, uh, your city that day. He's not saying, I'm going to bring that hurricane into that city to judge those people because of the sin that they have. No, that's not what I'm saying. The hurricanes come and God will eventually judge the hurricane for coming to that city. God sends his judgment sometimes in the form of natural disasters, but that's not his only way of bringing judgment. Sometimes his judgment is reserved for end times. Sometimes his judgment is reserved for heaven. It rains on the good people and the bad people. It, uh, righteous people and evil people get blessed. These things occur and we can't allow uh, the fact that Jesus says, I am the judge, to be our idea of judgment taking place at this very moment, at this very time, for every single scenario, because that's what fits into our, uh, uh, our box of what we think God's supposed to do. But instead, his judgment is reserved for the right time, the right place, and, and, and he is going to judge as a loving God in order to take care of situations with his holy, reverent judgment, his authority and his power. And so I, I, I just have a, a few questions on this one. Um, is it easy or is it hard to be judgmental? Easy. Easier to judge someone than to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. Yeah, I think especially so. if you don't like the person, you're looking at them. Oh, they did this on purpose. They don't like me anyway, so they did this on purpose all all to get back at me. Absolutely, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's a to me. I mean, another word description word would be stereotyping, mm, yeah. and I think a lot of us do immediately. Uh, stereotype others um, just by the way they look, the way they're holding themselves, uh, their demeanor, the way they shake uh, hands or say hello, or if you don't shake hands, maybe you do a slight bow. Just, you know, you can just sense, is there a pride coming off of them? And so, and, and, it, and it's not fair. It's not fair for me to be that way. And that is one thing that I still strive to this day to not be so stereotypical and to um, give people benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. Is it easier? Is it hard for you to judge people? Mm. You don't know. No. Do you ever make judgments on people? Like, hey, that person can be my friend. And, and you look at them and say, oh, yeah, I know they can be my friend because... Uh, they're smiling at me or there's no way that person would be my friend because they're 
ignoring me completely or no you're just friends with everybody <laughs> yes yeah yeah okay well i mean i i agree with blair i i also struggle in in jumping to judging uh people based on reactions that they may have and uh and and or even as xavier was even started off pointing out you know the not always giving people the benefit of the doubt. And that's just with, uh, that's just with uh, people within my immediate sphere of influence or in my immediate area of, of life. And, and that brings me to a second or a follow-up question, and that is, have you ever removed God's judgment from him and made yourself the judge? Have you ever not trusted him to be the ruler and the judge of all of the earth and all of eternity, and instead appointed yourself God in God's place as the one who knows best. To call people out or like quick, what do you mean? I mean in general. In general? Yeah, like calling people out for the way they react, but sometimes it's just like making a judgment call like, well, the reason COVID-19, uh, the reason tornadoes hit the Nashville area is because there's such sinners in Nashville. And so therefore it's God's judgment upon Nashville that he sent the tornadoes. What hogwash? That's not even close to true. The reality is, is the tornado hit Nashville. Mm-hmm. It got nothing to do with the type of people that live in Nashville. I mean, I'm using Nashville because that's our home base. That's where our daughter lives. That's where our oldest daughter goes to university and the tornado hit right near her university. And I heard people saying stuff like, God has judged Nashville area because they're so sinful. Well, come on, my daughter's a pretty righteous person. Tornado hit in an area where righteous people live and unrighteous people live. And I can't make such judgment calls upon people that I don't know. But yet, often we like to put ourselves in the place of God saying, well, the reason this happened is because... God doesn't like those people. No. It it could be quick and easy to do. I mean, that would be the gossip trap. Mm. Um, When you're around others and if you are surrounding yourself with those types of people, uh, it can be, you could be really quick and easy to be caught up into it depending on your personality. But God doesn't want us to be like that. So really it's to refrain from that and to, once again, step back and see that person as God is seeing that person and to have a complete understanding of who you are and who you are in Christ and that personal relationship with Christ Jesus daily really helps to be able to to see others and to be more acceptive of others because it's not Christianity versus whoever. It isn't, it's not a, I'm a believer and you're a sin- sinner. I can't associate with you. No, that's not, that's not God's intentions at all. But for us to begin to, to love people and to see people beyond who they are, I mean, how they dress, um, whom they worship, um, the kind of attitude or persona that they may carry with them. Yeah. May the love of Christ, who's in me, shine forth that I can be able to sit down and have a genuine conversation with someone, that I'm not pushing my views on that person. I'm not pushing my own agenda on that person. And looking down on them as a result. But just genuinely having a loving relationship with, um, with others that are 
believers and those that aren't believers. I mean, who's to say that we can and cannot get along? Um, but I mean, you, you really have to to have that, no matter the skin color, no matter the any anything. Yeah. Um, you really, I, I think, it's very important for a firm believer in Christ Jesus to to be that way. Because yeah. it, it's not fair. I don't want to be the Corinthian church and naming and blaming and God did not put me in that authority and by golly I'm not I'm, I'm not going to do that but like I said it can be easy to be caught up into that like especially in a woman's woman a a a young lady women can be so immediately judgmental of did you see the type of shoes she had you know well she didn't wear them properly well did you know that they're from a lower end retail store they're not from the higher end retail store well we can't associate with her because she dresses like that or because of the perfume she wears or because of her hairstyle not being up to date it even we can be so quick and turn people off and that that is not who Christ Jesus is right and when did God give us that authority that we have to have our 12 and no more or our clique of people, or our, if we're not all wearing the same color today, you know, and everybody else that's wearing a different color, well, we can't associate with them because they're, they're not, they're not dressed like I am. It's, it's, it's hard and people get, uh, people can get really caught up into the label, the name brand, um, wearing certain types of shoes. Shoes is a really big deal right now. Huh? Or if you match someone in clothes, people are like, ugh. They're wearing the same exact outfit as me. Right. And, and we can be so quick that way to just really turn people off and turn people away, which could be an opportunity of making a new friend. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Yes? It reminds me of the scripture of um, uh, the guy that went into the belly of a whale. Mm -hmm. Jonah. Jonah. And whenever... Uh, he's just supposed to save all of these people. And then afterwards, he went up on the mountain and waited to see God's punishment because he was judging them. Yeah. And God was like, no, they're saved. I'm not going to hurt them. Right. And he got upset about it, didn't he? Mm -hmm. And that's where the story ends. <laughs> the story ends with Jonah being upset that God didn't destroy the Assyrians and uh, the Ninevites. And he's so frustrated with it. And then the story just ends. That's how honest the Bible is, which is pretty incredible that the Bible would be that honest that a prophet, yeah. a man of God story starts off with God speaking to him, calling him to a people. He runs away. He then, because he runs away, gets swallowed up by a big fish, stays in the belly of the fish for three days, gets vomited up, then goes to Nineveh and preaches and the people get saved. I mean, that's where we want the story to end, but that's not where the story ends, is it? The story ends with him climbing up on the hill, like you just said, Mallory, and wanting to see the city destroyed. And that is the way that many, uh, many of us uh, within Christianity look at life, is we want to see the people that don't agree with us. We want to see them destroyed. And it's not just Christian people that do that. Sometimes it's Hindus and Sikhs and Muslims. And it doesn't matter your religious background, as Blair was bringing up. People do this all the time. And why is it? You brought up a, you brought up a thing uh, that is a sin, Blair, that we don't talk about in the church. And that's the sin of gossip. It's mentioned in the Bible a bunch of times. And yet it's one that we refuse to talk about or even confront. 
or gossip about. (laughs) (laughs) And so it becomes one of those things that we say, oh, well, it's worse to murder somebody, but gossiping's okay. It's worse to have sexual sin, but gossiping's okay. And so it kind of becomes our small little sin that we allow to grow and grow and grow and grow. And what it does is it makes us disobedient to Christ, Mm -hmm. his authority. And then he has to judge us according to it. And so I just have one final question, and that is this. What is a way that we can give up our rights as judge, author, and God's equal and to return the power that is due him? What is it that we can do or what is a way that we can give up our rights as judge, authority, and God's equal and turn the power back over to God? I think one way is really what if when I've done it or if I've done it. I don't know if I've ever done it, but I I'd be convic- conviction of it, like looking through the Bible and praying about what I did, and then being convicted of oh I did this wrong, hmm. and so I need to fix that. Sure, and I can't say. Oh, COVID-19 because all those dumb Chinese are eating bats and all that other crap that people are saying now, which is really mo- rude and harsh. We're all human. Right. We all bleed. Right. <laughs> just so harsh on other people. And I, if I do in the future or have done something that like that and judged people and groups of people for what they do or their sins or how they operate or what they look like, what they dress, how they dress, I would have to repent of that and read through scripture and seeing, oh, I did this wrong and get be convicted of it and repent of repent for it. Yeah. Like I don't know any other way to return it all back to God other than him convicting us of our wrongs and saying, Hey, you did this wrong and us realizing it in turning it back over to him yeah. ourselves. Because we could be convicted of it, but we're like, eh, I'll get back to that later. I still want to be the way I am right. and stay stagnant Yeah. instead of wanting to progress and grow in God. Right, right. And I think that's a very important point that you bring up about repentance. And repentance means to turn away from the thing that I have done wrong and to not do it again. To say, God, forgive me of this, not just my words, not just my attitude, but my heart. And repentance is a massive, massive thing that we, um, um, as followers of Jesus, as Christian people, we have got to live daily lives of repentance and be open to the fact that uh, God is speaking to us, convicting us of things, so that that way we we are a people of repentance. Mm -hmm. Did you have anything else to add? Daily, I mean, it's a it's a daily choice. Yeah, I didn't say it's, it was. It's not a it's not a wake up and go. Okay, I've arrived. I've achieved this. Right, right. No, it's it's a daily choice, and it's something to con- con- consistently work work on and work at, because 
Every day brings a new type of situation. So daily repentance before the Lord, mm-hmm. reading the scriptures and applying that uh, to to your life, as as Xavier said. I know a principle for me that I, I have really tried to to live by it for the last at least maybe five to ten years is you know hate the sin but not but not the sinner. Yeah. And by golly, I know I sinned. And if somebody just hated me because I was a sinner, that's awful. Mm. But I mean, there are things inside of my own self that I don't like. There's things inside of me that I I, I have sinned and and I daily repent of and and to turn away and to become more like Christ each and every day. And, um, And to see that in others of, Sure, there may be something inside of that person's life that I may not necessarily agree with. It, it could be a, a sin, but may I not, you know, may I, may I, you know, hate the sin, but not the sinner. Yeah. And, and it's just, I don't know, I've, I've told my kids that over and over and over, you know. Sure, you may not like this about somebody, but golly, they're going to find things inside of you that they're not going to like too. Yeah. And there may be things inside of you that you already see that you don't like. And that doesn't mean to shelter yourself and be away from people because people need people. We need each other. Right. And, um, and ultimately, it's not that we are the authority over them, that God is the ultimate authority over all, over all, this, all of his creation. And um, so, yeah, I, it's, it's daily. It it's, a daily, daily. it's a daily choice. And Absolutely. that's reading, reading God's word and praying and being obedient to what we're hearing and making that lifestyle change. As Xavier said, repent and turn away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that, that, that those are all some really great points. Did you have anything that you wanted to add? No? Well, there was just a declaration that I... Th- as a part of the repentant heart, a declaration that I think is um, um, something that I'd like to do within these points, and that is this. Jesus, I declare you are equal with God our Father, and I trust you. Jesus, you hold all authority of heaven and earth and my life, and I give you the authority over my life today. Jesus, you are the rightful ruler and judge Teach me to discern right from wrong, good from bad, corrupt from righteous. Yet may I hold loosely of the power to be judgmental, which is uh, a job of judgment is reserved only for you. And today may my faith grow. May my trust be strengthened and my hope be secured in Christ Jesus. And that's kind of a declaration that I believe comes from, uh, came to me from reading this passage of scripture today, that I want to return uh, Jesus' equality with God. I want to return his authority to him, and I want to return to him the power as ruler and judge over my life. And I want him to have that authority, judgment, and equality over my family, over my children, and I pray that it would spread onto my friends and my acquaintances and, 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 and those that I have uh, touch points with throughout my life, that I would not be somebody that would keep this good news of Jesus is equal with God. Jesus has all authority and Jesus is the judge and ruler of this earth. I don't want to keep that information to myself. I want to proclaim it for others to hear. 
And, uh, and so I just want to uh, close with that today and, and ask, uh, would you, would you um, pray for us, Blair? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you, Lord, for your ultimate authority. We thank you, Lord, for your sovereignness. And it rains on the just and the unjust. God, you are good. God, you are faithful. And God, you are ever-present. Lord, continue to have your way in this earth and the nation that we live here in India and the nations that surround and make up the earth. There's many, many that have lost a lot of loved ones. There's many, many that have loved ones that are still in the hospital. There are many, many that are questioning and there are many, many that think this pandemic that we're living amongst is a hoax. But Lord, you saw all of this. You knew all of this was coming. May those that believe in who you are continue to ever shine bright. May we continue to give prayers, wisdom, a listening ear to those that are hurting, to those that are suffering, to those that are depressed. There are many that have lost jobs. There are many that have just going through really times of struggle. I pray, Lord God, that you will continue, as I said, to give us wisdom. to those that live around us, to those that are our neighbors, to those that are our um, employees that we work with daily. 